Og lige nu her på DR1 sidder Tine Goethe klar til at præsentere TV-avisen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the second episode of Planet Mundus. Thanks for listening. Uh, on our first episode, we even received a comment on our website, which is planetmundus.wordpress.com. And even though we just started the show, we already break with our own rules because this time we won't have a proper studio guest. Instead, we will la- guide you through the show as your hosts, Hans Liedke and Ole Krogsgaard. I am Ole Krogsgaard and thank you so much for listening. Of course, we are a, a poor substitute for a, a studio guest, but we've tried to make up for that with a lot of interesting uh, help from uh, from the whole team here at Planet Mundus. So... On this episode today, we are going to try and shed some light uh, to the Islamic State. Amongst other things, we are sending two of our journalists out to a Danish mosque that is often blamed for radicalizing Danish Muslims. That's a mosque here in Aarhus, where we are, of course, producing Planet Mundus. We are also going to be talking to a Syrian journalist who's lived there for 25 years, but recently fled the country due, of course, to the horrible state Syria is in. And, as always, Jan Willems have produced a hilarious piece uh, talking to uh, none other than one of the beheaders of the Islamic State. That's at the end of the show. Stay tuned for that. Now, in order to to know what, what we had to talk about here today and in order like, to try and frame our show, we had to know what our audiences uh, feel, think, know about Islamic State. So we sent our journalist Kim Laura Schönrock out on the streets of Aarhus. Say Radio Mundus. When I say IS, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Ooh, uh, Islamic State, so terrorism, basically. Suppression of yeah minorities in Syria, Iraq, Iran, the whole Middle East crisis. Where the heads are cut off. The Iraq war and interventionism and civil war. Extremists, fanatics. Something bad, not because of the race or the religion, but because uh, they're so fanatic. IS, mm-hmm. as in the company, international? No, IS, as in Islamic State. Oh, that. Well, I'm not really interested in those. Use closer to planet Mundus. <laughs> I think, the, I think the, the last lady here was referring to ISS, which is like a Danish cleaning company. I think that's what she uh, thought the IS stood for. I thought they would have stand for um, International Space Station at the first place, of which course. Would, which would have been awesome. It uh, really would have been awesome, but it isn't, obviously. How <laughs> should <laughs> I know? <laughs> at least we can, I guess we can gather from that Vox Pop that most people know about the IS obviously. It has received a lot of media attention lately. But the exact, exact details does seem to be blurry to some of the people, at least here in Aarhus. Um, Kim Laura sets the facts straight. Tämä on Planet Mundus. Roman brothers, come to jihad and feel the honor we are feeling. Feel the happiness that we are feeling. IS is recruiting new members. And not only in the Middle East, but worldwide. They use well-produced propaganda videos in English, placed in social networks to increase their popularity and to spread their message. The actual number of their members is unknown, but it is estimated to be at least between 10 and 30,000. Some sources even speak of 100,000 members. But what exactly is IS? IS stands for Islamic State. It is also known as ISIS or ISIL, 
Its origin can be traced back to the year 2003 in the American intervention in Iraq. When the US forces occupied the country, many different armed groups surfaced to fight the intruders. One of them became known as Al-Qaeda in Iraq, which pledges allegiances to Osama bin Laden and steps up a deadly campaign against the US and Iraqi targets. The group grew during the following years and was led by different leaders. By 2010, it has become the Islamic State of Iraq, but wanted more and expanded to Syria. That's how it became the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, or short, ISIL. Today, it claims to control about one-third of each, Syria and Iraq, including Iraq's second-largest city, Mosul. But how is this expansion even possible? Hans Hüttel from Amnesty International has a simple explanation. The expansion was only possible because Iraq and also Syria, of course, are, are failed states in the sense that there is an armed conflict and there is no uh, central authority anymore, and that's the reason why they were able to expand. So we know who IS is, but what do they want? Simply speaking, they want to build an Islamic state strictly ruled by the Sharia law. Their opponents are not only the government, but actually everybody who has another interpretation of Islam. It is, after all, a religious war. The members of IS are Sunni Arabs, so especially Shia Arabs and Kurds are under attack by IS. But really, everybody who does not stick to their rules seem to get in trouble. Pictures of public executions, floggings and beheadings are circulating around the world, showing the brutality of IS. What do we know about its structure? It is not exactly known how IS is run, but several experts describe its way of operating like that of a government. Its leader is called Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who functions like a commander-in-chief. He is supported by two top deputies, one being responsible for Syria, one for Iraq. Furthermore, there are supposed to be different councils that operate just like ministries of a country and are responsible for creating policy and basically run the Islamic State. These include, for example, a leadership council, a military council or a financial council. How do they finance themselves? Actually, they are doing quite well. They have different income streams, the biggest being oil sales, but also smuggling, theft, extortion and private donations add to their wealth. By now, they make an estimated $1.5 billion per year. It is fairly obvious that this group means trouble, especially for the region itself, of course, but now it is also seen as a worldwide threat. Not surprisingly, international actions have started to stop ISIS, including airstrikes led by US forces. However, Hans Hüttel from Amnesty is skeptical of its effects. The problem with armed intervention is that uh, while it seeks to deal with the problem, it may end up contributing to the problem. That, that uh, armed intervention may lead to more human rights violations. So the perfect recipe to stop ISIS has yet to be found. Until then, we might hear more of this. Well, my brothers, come to jihad and feel the honor we are feeling, feel the happiness that we are feeling. Kim Schönrock for Planet Mundus. Thank you, Kim, for this audio piece about ISIS. Ola, what just came to my head? Do you did you actually realize that ISIS uh, controls a territory which is just the size of Belgium? That's actually no, I did not, and that's actually. Pretty big, it's bigger than Denmark at least, where yeah. where I'm, uh, where I'm from. No, it's like have managed to spread pretty pretty impressively and pretty quickly. Yeah, and it is, I guess it's a, like that. There's a strong, a, a strange like kind of like on the one hand it's a terror group, like we all agree like it's an evil terror group. Yeah, and on the other hand it's like 
Well, they see themselves of obviously, well, Islamic State, obviously as a state, so as a country, maybe. The leader, al-Baghdadi, for example, has two deputies who are responsible. One is responsible for the Iraq and the other one is responsible for Syria. And um, at least on the leader, the US um, set a $10 million bounty when someone uh, brings him to justice. Brings him to justice. Apparently they have a... You know, no, normally, if you're a spy or a bad guy or stuff like that, you have like a suicide pill mm-hmm. hidden in your teeth with cyanide, I think, that you can swallow if like the enemy gets onto you. But apparently, these guys, the leaders over here, have uh, like suicide explosive belts yeah. around wow. them. Really? That's like, like a really aggressive way to go out. I guess it fits nicely in the narrative of uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, take the take as many people with you as you oh, can. Oh yeah, right? definitely. Wow. Yeah, I read something, or not I read, but I've seen on German TV a documentary uh, about IS and how detailed they plan everything and they even have personal records about every member and the list of fighters and about their status, what kind of weapons they have, what kind of education they have, uh, even if they're on holiday right now or not and where they are and addresses about their from their families and phone numbers and stuff like that. Yeah, that's crazy how huh? they like they they have a full working bureaucracy. Exactly. Yeah. But also, but they are like, is it two million, two million? Do- like they are exporting a lot of oil at least on the black market, and it's amounts where you, I guess, you have to have some sort of structure going on if you should even like be able to to handle. They do. They yeah. have uh, captured some of the largest re- like oil refineries in in Iraq and yeah, exactly. are, are financing them financing themselves from that. Yeah, no, but not only they also introduce taxes, and for example, when you're well, you're still kind of able to live uh, in ISIS-controlled areas, um, even though you're not a Muslim or you don't agree, you know, with their rules. Um, but then you have to pay a non-Muslim tax, yeah. for example, and well, of course, which is way higher than the the normal tax. Yeah, sure. And but still, with those taxes, they finance the a kind of social welfare. That means at least fighters have a free health insurance and they get kind of IS support for their families and stuff like that. Yeah, that's kind of, that's interesting. Yeah. Though it is of course impossibly hard to t- like to to know these things because it is like it is so tightly so tightly con- like they have such a control over the media and and uh, and IS that that like we only probably get the IS picture. Mm-hmm. And there was there was just a a story about like where some guys had smuggled um Well, I had distributed like news from uh, from the, the so-called capital of of IS mm-hmm. uh, with like a, a pretty damning, um, pretty damning news about the 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 poverty that that ordinary Syrians and Iraqis in these territories live in now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, do you know about the um, magazine they they issue on a regular no. base? Um, I think they issue every month or something like that. And in the latest paper they mentioned a known currency they want to introduce in in the is yeah makes it sense it it makes sense right i mean they just it, fit. yeah exactly yeah. and with this own currency they also would be able to build an entire economy based on this currency if they do manage to get the like it is a, there is a power uh, it's it must be hard to get a working economy really going in this like, globalized world where Everybody's trying to compete on yeah exactly who, uh, as like compete in a market economy and like all they want to do is totally non-market economy yeah. economics. It is not like, of course they can export oil and make a fortune of that, but 
apart from that, it is going to be hard, I reckon, for them to to actually work. Yeah, true. Well, at least international trades would be taboo for them. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Well, one thing is I was talking about it, but uh, our reporter Ching Li has uh, interviewed a Syrian voice. He's a journalist called Joseph Hamoud, and he's uh, lived in Syria for over 25 years, though he fled from the brutal war approximately two and a half years ago, and, now, and he now lives in Denmark, where he's been granted political asylum. He's, of course, very active in, uh, in trying to get the international community interested in the situation in Syria. And this piece comes now. Assalamu alaikum. Planet Mundus. Hi, Joseph. We are really happy to have you on the show. You're welcome. So, you have lived in Syria for almost 25 years. What's the feeling of not being allowed to go back in the future? I mean, you know, basically the things that you knew, I once knew, or things that I uh, love about my country or loved, it's all been destroyed. It's nothing there for me anymore. So, of course, you feel sadly, but then you move on. You can't just live in the past. And what do you feel when seeing the propaganda videos made by AS? What I feel it's a bit uh, surprising and a bit uh, shocking that IS managed to reach this level of professionalism in producing uh, videos and, 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 and media better than a lot of countries in the Middle East. These videos are used to recruit people in the West. These are designed to communicate to somebody who feels in, like an outsider in the Western society, in the Western community. So I just wanted everybody to be clear of that. Fighting IS is not only with weapons, it's with uh, including everybody and not leaving everybody feeling excluded because this is something that people like IS can take advantage of and use for their own purpose. This may be a hard question. So what's the most violence experience you had in Syria? I don't like to talk about them that much because what I saw or what I experienced, it's really nothing compared to what happens there every day. I don't like to talk about the violent things. I want to talk about the heartbreaking things. It's like you see a kid who's like 15 or 16 year old and he was like whole this filled with life and so energetic, so happy, so driven in life. And yet the only thing he can do now is basically pick up a weapon and fight. And this is the heartbreak, and you see that every day. And basically, it's the most violent things I saw in Syria, in my opinion. It's not the dead people or the bodies or whatever. It's the inability to live, and there's no potential. There's no horizon for life, That even for kids, even for young people. That's always been blocked. You know, death is not a bad thing, but not living is even worse. I mean, I'm not saying death is a good thing, but I'm just saying there's something worse than death. And that is not being able to live, not having a life. That's even worse. This is also a part of why people join IS. This is also a part of why people become radical. Just the inability to choose anything else. And people want to live, even if that meant that they need to die. And this is just mean, you may not understand it, you know, makes no sense to you. But this is what the people think, that this is what the people who join IS think, is when they die for this cause, that they're going to live somewhere else. They're going to live an eternal life in heaven because their life is so filled with misery all the time. So they think maybe there's a small measure of peace in the afterlife. And this is a problem that people, smart people, can look for an answer to in this life. You can include these young people. You can include these, you know, hopeless people people into a process that can give them some hope and make them think again about killing themselves and people around. So if you don't have healthy young population, you're going to destroy your country. If you don't have enough opportunity for the young population to find themselves in, to reproduce the country in their own way, you're going to just destroy the country. 
Can you tell us the difference between living in Syria and Denmark? One of the first things that I noticed when I came to Denmark is how green it is here and reminded me of how gray I remember Syria was. I don't know why, but I just remember it was like gray and just walls everywhere. But here, it's you can just see the sky just standing in the street and it's just it's not something you would normally see in Syria. Here, literally, you can get confused by how many options and how many opportunities you can get. Sometimes you don't know what to do because you can do so many things. But in Syria, it's the exact opposite. It's just you feel like you're sitting in a prison. I remember sitting in my room and feeling like I'm in prison. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I can't move around. I can't hope for anything. I can't even dream of anything because it's just not going to happen. That's actually why I worked on my English. That's why I speak this well English, because for me, the miracle was that I being able to be someone else is to create another character that is not only the Syrian me. There's another character that can break free from that, that can lead me somewhere else. So when you put your entire young population, your youth in that corner, you're bound to destroy your country. This is Planet Mondas. That was Ching Li reporting. Now, obviously, this is a horrific, horrific crisis for Syrians and Iraqis. But one of the things that's also really striking about this is how IS manages to get Danes and other West, like people from Western countries, people who live in welfare states, and should be taken, uh, like are taken financially care of and stuff like that, that they are managing to radicalize them and actually get them to go travel to Syria and join. Yeah, I read that that especially in, in Netherlands, Germany and Denmark, there's a lot of people going to fight for us. Actually, Belgium is the is the country with most people per capita that goes down and fights for the, for, for the IS. And Denmark is a proud number two. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are radicalized here in Aarhus, or so the so the police say. So that, a lot of them are from a, have been radicalized in a mosque, allegedly, that is in the western town of Aarhus. Freya Eriksen and Nehal Al-Sharif went to talk to the chairman of this mosque, and we are going to hear that in a, in a second. But before we get to that, I just want to talk a bit about how, uh, what makes a guy, a, a, Dan, a Danish Muslim guy, what makes him go join a, an Islamist fundament, fundamentalist group? What, what do you reckon? Uh, good question. I think they have similar motives in other countries too. So it's probably not specific Danish. But I could imagine they got attracted either by their like by the social media activities of IS, or I don't really I don't really see a connection with the videos to be honest. No, you mean the beheading videos. Exactly. Yeah. I mean that's what they are also very famous for. Mm. Right? Hmm. I I talked to or I listened to a lecture from a a, da- a Danish uh, scholar. It's called Carsten Bagelausten Lausten mm-hmm. the other day. And he talked about that there was like four main factors that uh, that got people to join the faith. Obviously, these people are Muslims. But two was revenge. Like a lot of guys, that's maybe not that true in Denmark, but uh, well, oh yeah, it can totally be actually. Like a lot of uh, people have Palest- are from Palestine or have Palestinian uh, family connections. And of course, the Palestinian situation is very grim and... There are a lot of human rights violations going on down there, so that mm-hmm. can lead you to uh, take up arms against the West, yeah, and fight for it like a Muslim Brotherhood. And then there were like some more like uh, individual, um, individual like uh, psychological reasons that I found really interesting. Like one of one, the, th- the one was the like the feeling of community. A lot of these guys don't really 
feel like they have a community in Denmark. They might be lonely or like they might be, if you're like an unemployed mid twenty Muslim male in Denmark, yeah, that that's pretty strong in your faith. Like, like a lot of these guys don't have that much going on for them in their host country, in their home countries, and if they go to uh, Syria and join the IS, they, then they uh, get the the fourth the fourth of his punch, which was status. Like you really, when you if you return to Denmark after having gone to fight in Syria, then you are like a big guy in your mosque. You've actually probably yeah. You've actually like your life put your life on your line for your faith. So that's like the four reasons he put up. And interestingly, he stated that it was not a lack of intellect. Hmm. A lot of these guys were middle, yeah. uh, middle class people with like totally normal. Well, normal, right? <laughs> I I I really can imagine that that doesn't really have something to do with education or you know your background. Some people feel attracted to to just join them and stand for their ideas properly. Yeah, of of course. Um, like one of the places in Aarhus that's been, or in Denmark, that's been a lot in the news media because people are claiming that they are doing that exact pushing, is uh, the Grimhøj Mosque in the uh, in Aarhus V. And we sent Freya Eriksen and Nehal Al-Sharif uh, to talk to the chairman of, of this mosque about uh, the, the, supposed, the, the supposed radicalization of uh, Muslims into foreign fighters that they are doing. That piece is here. Du hörst Planet Mundus. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. A mosque found on a grey industrial street in the suburbs of Denmark's second largest city, Aarhus, has made headlines in national and international media. According to Denmark's Security and Intelligence Service, PET, over a hundred Danes have left the country in order to join Islamic State. The mosque on Kremhaivai has been frequented by 22 out of the hundred. This is according to local police. We visited the controversial address Kremhaivai 7 to interview chairman of the mosque, Usama El Sadi. Do you tell Danish? Yes, it's fine. El Sadi has been in the Danish media spotlight especially after being cited as supporting IS, though not their methods. Consequently, the mosque has come under politicians' fire, who demand the place be closed. But El Sadi says he was as surprised as everyone else by the numbers. We were surprised by the number given by the police. We did not know them. Some of them we only met after they came back. Since it is an open center, we cannot get to know everybody. There are faces we see every Friday, and others once a month. So, their relationship with the people is limited, except those who come on daily basis. They are around 50. El Sadi has been working with local authorities and police, talking to those who have returned from Syria and Iraq. This approach by the local police has brought the mosque into international media. We asked what the mosque and the fighters themselves do upon return to Aarhus. We held a project in the past few months where we met with local authorities and police and people who came back from Syria or Iraq. Those who returned came back to their normal life and family like they did not leave. We did not interfere in their decision or ask why they returned. It was a personal choice. But we welcomed their return to their country and advised them to respect the sanctity of the country and be aware that their children, parents and family live here. So any harm to the country will affect everyone. We asked Al Sadi whether the mosque makes any efforts to try to prevent people from joining IS forces. We cannot prevent anyone because that's illegal, and we were warned from the police that we cannot prevent anyone. We advised them to be aware of the problems and the risks they will face. 
This is not our daily topic, and we never discussed it here on a daily basis. I live in Denmark, and if my 18-year-old came to ask me about something and I objected, I still cannot oblige him to do anything. We know our limits and the laws of the country. If I were in Egypt or Lebanon, I could lock him in a room and tell him, you're not allowed to leave. But if I do this here, I will face trial. All I can tell them is that this is a risk and you should consider it well. Did the criticism and media attention push the mosque into changing practices, we asked? We are the same. We did not change anything. In 1990, El-Sadi arrived in Denmark after escaping the conflict in Palestine and became one of the founders of the mosque on Kremhoivai. He denies comments attributed to him supporting the Islamic State and blames the media for taking his words out of context. The mosque stands against violence and war in general, he stresses, yet supports the concept of an Islamic state where Sharia laws are enforced. An Islamic state requires Islamic rule that governs in a just way among the people and gives them their rights, security and equality. Yet the concepts the chairman wishes to see in an Islamic state do not include democracy. According to him, democracy failed to secure the power for Islamists in Egypt. In Al-Sadi's own words, they were even more democratic than the West. Democracy is of course a blasphemous system and unacceptable, because it's unfair to the people. Not because I want to say that I live in a democratic country and it is wrong. But Western countries are not Islamic countries. They get to choose what they want. This was Nihal Sharif and Freya Eriksen for Planet Mundus. 지금 여러분은 Planet Mundus를 듣고 계십니다. Thank you very much for this piece. It was so interesting. Um, I have just one question. Obviously, they many uh, Danes go to IS and fight for them um, to, you know, support their idea and to stand their ground and stand for their for their ideas. But then, on the other hand, in those videos I've seen. Um, most of them were, I mean, I don't really know whether they were, they were Danes or other nationalities, of course. Sure. But in general, um, most of them cover their faces with masks and you actually can't really see who that guy is. And you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. wondering about that. Isn't that a bit, uh, I don't know, when you take this action and you fly down there and you get this training mm. and you do a lot of effort and it probably also costs a lot of money, mm. um, but then you don't really want to show your face yeah and you also mean like like they're they're going down like they're putting their life on the line and they're exactly. ready to kill for this honorable goal of creating an islamic state and still they're like covering themselves up a lot of the time mm-hmm. it's actually a good point no i will say that in denmark at least like the last week the media attention has been uh, like that the police found out that um that i think it was 16 of the of the fighters Who's like of Danes who've went to fight for the Islamic State actually cashed in their uh, social security check while fighting <laughs> for them. <laughs> Neat. So we've been actually been paying, like we've been flying Denmark, of course, like engaged in the war, like we're sending planes down mm-hmm. there and bombing IS, and at the same time we're fighting the guys, they're paying the guys that we are fighting. Yeah, true. That's uh, so I can imagine like why they wouldn't want to show their faces at least, you know. Yeah, true, Don't because want they the... still want to receive their governmental support, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, nice, let's see. The other side of the coin, right? <laughs> it's an interesting mosque. This, uh, this, it's called the Grimhoi Mosque. Like, you hear, you hear the guys saying that democracy is blasphemous. Mm-hmm. And yet they are, you know, living in... De- 
It's just and, such yeah. a class. Like they are living in Denmark, and like that's the only the only value. Like that is one of the, it. It is hard to argue for. I think personally that it's hard to argue if you if you don't accept democracy. Oh, you also shouldn't accept the governmental support and everything what comes with democracy. Yeah, um, Kim Laura Schönrock, our reporter, went to the street to ask uh, to ask some 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 people in Aarhus what reasoning they could have to join the IS. That's it. Comes here. Andersedang Mendengar, Planet Mundus. Could you think of any reasons why people actually join IS? Because the alternate is worse. People are sick of the current government, the current regime. And ISIS offers an alternate. And you can either choose, do you want to live and let live as they do in Russia, or do you want to change? They're not having anything in this society, so they have a chance to join something, to be something, I think. And then they get brainwashed on the internet. So they think they do something for a good reason. I really don't know. I could, I can't imagine why um, young white people from Denmark, for one, would, would join ISIS. But also we have a very Western view on it. Yeah. I think it's something else when you're there and if you're from there, you learn some different things than we do. Like we think it's not doing it, but they don't. Du lytter til Planet Mundus. Thank you, Kim, for this Vox Pop about why Danes would join the AS. I would be interested now why Syrians or Iraqis would like to join the AS. More about that has to say Joseph Hamoud in our next audio piece. Ceci et Planet Mundus. What do you think why people want to join IS? What are the main reasons? Well, the main reasons is basically inequality and injustice and humiliation. You've got the Iraqi government or the Syrian government just dealing with their population as a flock of sheep. They're just uh, humiliating them, killing them, imprisoning them, torturing them. So, of course, people naturally will turn to somebody who will bring them back some measure of dignity, some measure of pride. So, I mean, that's understandable. You take a man's pride, you take his house, you kill his family. What do you think is going to happen? So who do you think is most likely to join IS? Somebody who would be religious, somebody who would be conservative, somebody who would be frustrated. It's based on a lot of things why people join IS. It's not just a matter of age. It's a cultural thing. So it's different factors that come into play that may or may not be why a person would join IS. In my opinion, why a lot of people are joining IS is just because it's the best choice to fight Assad regime And it's the best choice that gives a lot of people fighting with IS some measure of dignity and some measure of pride. So if we can find another means in which we can give these people some measure of pride and some measure of dignity without them fighting, I think a lot of them would leave fighting along with IS. And what has been done by the international society to stop IS? Is it effective or not? I don't think anything serious has been done to stop IS or to solve the crisis in Syria. The way to end IS is by solving the issue that started it. So if you do not fix the Syrian regime, you cannot take care of IS. And if you do not fix the Iraqi regime, you cannot take care of IS. And if you do not work on that together as an international community, you will never fix that problem. Not just war, not just bombing shit up because that's not going to solve anything. That's just going to create more radical people who are going to be more willing to fight. So what should be done to solve it? You're always going to have the problem of radicalization, of the problem having 
group of people fighting for dignity and justice, even in an unjust way, in a criminal way, in a terrorist way. I don't care about how they fight for it, but you're always going to have this problem in any society once you marginalize a huge number of the, that society. So the solution is by including them, by restructuring the governments in these countries, not dissolving anything, not removing. You know, a lot of people on the opposition side saying, oh, we need to remove the regime and other people on the regime side saying, oh, we need to remove the opposition. Whether it's in Iraq or in Syria, it's the same rhetoric. And this is the both unvalid arguments because both will create groups just like IS. You have to include everybody. You have to have everybody has a saying of how their society run or else you're going to have IS. It's just as simple as that. Du hörst Planet Mundus. Thank you, Ching, for this piece about why Syrians join the IS. Well, I read that the IS recruits fighters through social media platforms. In general, you must say that the way that we in the West have come to know ISIS is, or the IS is in an enormous extent, right, through the social media and the way they use that. A lot have been talked about how professionally they produce True. videos. Yeah. And of course, a lot has been felt emotionally about like the content they, they put in these videos. Yeah. I know that uh, that you and I have both already have both seen the one of the beheading videos, at least uh, the one of uh, of the Amer the first one of the American journalist. Exactly, James Foley. James Foley, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it's powerful stuff, and there's an, uh, there's been a lot of ethical debate about whether like these videos should be watched or not. True. And I think we both agree that that it's not the 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 role of journalism to hide the truth or like it's not. Yeah, a, definitely not. Everyone should make this decision, him or herself, I would say. And now we welcome Freya Eriksson as our co-host, who hasn't seen a beheading video before, but she agreed on watching it. Yeah. We, th we thought that would be uh, inter very interesting to like get a, a first real-time mm -hmm. response to to these like extremely graphic videos. And Freya? Yes. <laughs> nicely volunteered. Thanks for yes, that. Yes, I did. Yeah. You're welcome. So how are you? What are you feeling right now before you start watching this sh stuff? Uh, well, I'm a... I wouldn't say excited, but I'm uh, I'm a little bit nervous actually of of watching it. But I think it'll be um, interesting to see. In general, would you say, pardon? In general, would you say you can handle, for example, when it just would be a random movie? Can you handle those, for example, horror movies or stuff like that? Or is it yeah, difficult I think for I, you to I've, watch? It? It's pretty. I'm okay with that m most of the time. But uh, of course, it's different when it's reality and not yeah, something that you definitely. know has been has been. Uh, well, is fiction. Now, what, what we're doing practically here is that we've Freya is sitting, is sitting in the middle between us with a computer, and this video is four minutes and forty seconds long. Mm. The two first uh, minutes is from an Obama speech, uh, detailing why he ch why they are, are bombing and like the U.S. policy. The second, uh, and this is the part where we are going to start you watching from, yeah. is a statement from uh, Foley himself. Like it's a prepared statement, obviously from mm -hmm. IS, yeah, exactly. that he reads, where he like blames the U.S. for for what's for his death, so on. Then uh, the the beheader, normally known as Jihadi John, mm -hmm. uh, makes a short statement, and then the actual beheading occurs. And I think we are slowly going to like start Freya off listening to the statement of Foley. And then uh, we're gonna like turn her mic on when uh, when 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 the real uh, the real graphic stuff begins. Exactly. Okay, so the video is rolling. Um, I think the most of uh, everybody has probably seen the screen dumps from this at least, like with uh, Foley yeah, knelt down least. in a 
I mean, at least in, in, in German newspapers uh, published, and I also know English newspapers who published um, like screenshots from the video, and you get an overall idea yeah. what it's well, maybe not what it's like, but what it's about and yeah. how the scenery looks like. Definitely. And in at least in German TV news, they also have um, aired parts of the video. How is it in, in Danish TV news? Mm, I think that they aired at the beginning. They mm -hmm. aired small parts of it, not parts where Foley spoke and and like, but, but like at least they, I think they all, they aired small parts and at least they definitely showed the pictures of him, like where he's he's, he's uh, knelt down, dressed all in orange jumpsuit, and the guy called the beheader, mm -hmm. the, known as Jihadi, Jihadi John, John. Yeah, exactly. standing all dressed in black next to him, and then we're in like this big desert. And there's an ISIS flag waving in the uh -huh. in one of the in one of the sides. Like I think everybody knows the the picture, but there was a big debate after they they showed it. Like, should we show these pictures or yeah. should we show pictures of James Foley as a journalist? The same same in mm. Germany though. Yeah, the big discussion went on. Which is a, f a, f a fair discussion. I'm also like if for a mass media news outlet now Jihadi John is starting to make a statement and Freya looks on. It's happening. Freya talk us through. What are you thinking? I yeah. Oh no, now he's doing it. Wow. That was basically it. Wow, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, my heart was racing until the end, you know. I think it's because you know what's going to happen as well. And um, well, maybe it's the atmosphere here in this dark radio studio as well, but yeah. I mean, when you, when you, as an, as a Western citizen, you, uh, what you're thinking, I, what I was thinking was, um, that it's a, it's a real person, you know. You may hear about it on the news, but actually, I think that watching it is, is not, propagating, is, um, message, but more like making it real. How how hor horrible it is that, hmm. what they're doing, yeah. yeah. Do you think you probably in the future being a journalist? Does it has an impact on you, how you react? Um, well, I've, I think I, the what we're studying, some of us are going to Swansea and we're, uh, they're going to study one conflict and that's not my line of uh, what I want to do. So mm -hmm. I, I think what I'll be writing about is something completely different, but it, it definitely mm -hmm. makes me think about what, what we show on the media and why we show it, I, th I think it's important to talk about. But like you said before we watched the, the beheading, I think that it's, it, it doesn't make sense to not show what's going on just because mm -hmm. someone else's, uh, it's someone else's message. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Would you, would you mind to describe like what you saw in your own words? Well, uh, I saw James Foley in this uh, very orange torso and the beheader with his, what, just wearing all black in a, just completely empty desert area and it was very Hollywood-like and I think that's what people have also been saying about some of the the IS videos is that they're quite uh, well produced it looks like something you could see in a video and I think that could make you think that it was more fictional but really it just it keys tunes directly into what you see in your everyday life and can relate to because of all the all the TV we consume every day mm. yeah and then you of course see the the beheading and I, th I was I don't know what I was expecting him to do it with but it was a very small knife compared can't have been very pleasant but it's it's quite um to have James Foley say all these things and uh, 
I can't imagine what that must have felt like, you know. Uh. Yeah, it it must be uh, terrible. And I, he must have known what is going to happen mm. naturally, but yeah, all right. going on all saying all those things, it must have been. I yeah, I can't I can't imagine. Yeah. Are you h- happy, uh, sad, or not anything like that? You watched the video. I've, I'm I'm glad I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I am. Uh, I have felt like I should watch it as studying journalism. That that would be uh, something that I ought to do. But then I've just kind of not wanted to do it. But I think that it's important actually that we that we re- see what's going on in the world. And how about as a how about on a personal level, if you put the journalism code aside? Mm-hmm. Still, it, perhaps even more on a personal level, because I think that. IS is also what this video is also just telling a story about the a life that's being killed and I think that uh, seldomly do we really when we watch the news do we really relate to what we're all the pain and suffering we we see every day it's not always that we mm. really stop and think and I this definitely makes you stop and think mm-hmm. yeah. yeah thank yeah. you so much Faya, for You're for sharing this with us i think generally, Hans, when we re- prepared for this, we also saw uh, we scanned through some images that are even more gruesome than the, that are even more gruesome than this video. Yeah. And I do feel, without knowing this as a fact in any way, shape, or form, but I really do strongly believe that the images that are str- flowing out of Syria and Iraq through social media and like taken by the IS as propaganda is to a large, large part deriving this whole narrative that IS is the worst ever. Like mm. that, they are an extraordinarily. Yeah, yeah uh, true. That I, that I feel we hear that. Like nobody has any doubts about saying that when you describe IS and Western media or anywhere in the West, you always talk about how crazy the evil they are. Yeah, that's what we heard in the first uh, Vox Pop, right? Yeah, and I think that true, stems from yeah. the fact that journalists see this, sees these things where where it's just like it's it's just so visual, it's so graphic, mm-hmm. it's impossible yeah. not to be. But that's that's maybe part of this social media and how they use social media in order to maybe recruit fighters. I mean, that also has, I think, personal-wise, this video also has to do with there's a clear position who is the strong person and who is the weak person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. maybe those people stand for, not only for themselves as an individual, but also for maybe a Western idea and the Islamic State idea. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. How about like you personally? Because you are you are going to uh, you are studying journalism and you are mm-hmm. going to spend your final year of your master specializing in war journalism, combat journalism. Exactly. Yeah. So when you see the like you've seen videos, graphic, graphic, graphic videos of beheadings of of horrific things going on in Syria, and I know I've talked to you with you before that you would that you would be interested in mm-hmm. in, in going to Syria. Is that is that still like when you see these things? Does that does that change your your emotions on that uh in, in a way it does really well as i was doing the research to prepare for this for this radio show i've seen really a lot of pictures showing very terrible things and and i've figured out after a while you kind of get used to it that's maybe not a very nice way of saying it but but it's yeah i just thought oh well yeah just another video or just another picture with someone who doesn't have a head anymore and you know someone gets beheaded um yeah first of all and then second uh i don't think it i don't know i don't think it makes it any better when no one would report about it 
and I think that's just very at least for me it's very important to show people what it's what it's like and of course also um, I'm I'm very curious in general and Mm. um you know so so this hasn't like this this haven't really deterred you from like would you still go to Syria I probably would yeah of course it always depends on the on the current situation over there and apart from that I don't know I think there's also a certain kind of well you always take a certain kind of risk you know and you mm-hmm. either you're very well prepared and you can minimize this risk I don't know but there of course still there will be a certain risk which you can't just eliminate completely yeah and that is but, a, exactly but, I would, but that's a risk you'd face I probably would you, yeah. you, you know that yeah obviously I don't know like me personally because I'm also very curious of nature but mm-hmm. but seeing like that, that's also the 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 fact that he is a journalist that you know that that he got beheaded for doing exactly what you were exactly, going yeah. to probably do down there mm-hmm. regarding that have you heard since the IS is so well structured have you heard about the 11 rules they issued for journalists um no i haven't no the rules for journalists mm-hmm. yeah well of course i guess what are what's on I, the checklist? I, I, i was just wondering about that for example in the first point they have They stated that correspondents must swear allegiance um, to the caliph and uh, they are subjects of the Islamic State and as subjects um, they're obliged to swear loyalty to the imam and stuff. Uh-huh. That makes Which sense, is, I'd say. I would, it, it would, I, yeah. I would suspect that, yeah. That actually does make sense. And the fourth point was um, journalists are forbidden to work in any way with the TV channels placed in the blacklist of channels that fight against Islamic countries such as Al Arabiya and Al Jazeera and Orient. I didn't I didn't really know that actually that. No, that's kind of that's interesting. I think it's kind of interesting at least that I I don't know them all that well. I I mm-hmm. but like Al Jazeera at least has has often been denounced in the west, right? Like as uh, because they showed videos of Osama bin Laden some of his uh, statements. Hmm. So they've often been denounced in the west as like a yeah, terror true, news media. True. It goes to show that perhaps Al Jazeera is a voice worth listening to. Yeah, yeah. Another, another. The sixth point um, of those journalist rules is that journalists are not allowed to publish any reportage, print or broadcast, without referring to the IS uh, media office first. <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> they actually have a media a office. Media office. Also, <laughs> um, I also read that every province actually has their own media office, and they have something like competitions going on that really yeah yeah that they um pr- every province would produce a video and then which one is the nicest and then <laughs> oh, they shit. then they receive more equipment from the overall office it's crazy yeah. it, it really is it's just that it's so well organized it, yeah how do you reckon it would it look is. on a like internship at the isis with a i actually thought about <laughs> that maybe well not doing it but what would they say you know when they say well i don't know. As a journalist, I would like to work for for IS and for IS TV. Ch- they also have well, not TV channels, but they have kind of news channels which yeah. uh, they stream online. How would that work? Do you just apply, or what? What's the procedure behind that? I would be interested <laughs> a, in that. Just finding that's that a out. Good you know, question. Yeah, they obviously violate the freedom of press very intense with those oh, rules. Definitely. I mean, Is it, w- would you agree when you're going to Syria? Are you mm-hmm. gonna agree to these terms? Good question. I thought about this because the other day I've seen the Vice documentary about um, ISIS and their structure. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering about exactly the same, whether they agreed to those rules. Well, I, I uh, they uh, must of have. course, I, I like, don't have a final answer. 
but what, like what, how I guess they must have because they were not down there filming right like yeah I don't know why would IS let them film without agreeing to those rules yeah so the question is whether it's ethical for a western journalist to go down there and actually embed yeah but but the point is you could also I mean you can always you know say oh I agree to those rules and I sign it and stuff like that but then at the end you don't since the Islamic State is not recognized by you by the UN or by any other countries yeah but I've, I don't know, I've seen what they're but we've everybody's like we know what they do to the journalists right yeah if you don't but follow then, the rules but then when you don't follow the rules you probably would be out of this area you know when you publish yeah. it I could imagine but still uh, of course it, that's a discussion I mean yeah definitely our own Kim Laura went to uh, to the streets one last time to ask the people of Aarhus why one shouldn't go join the IS let's hear the result of that here Esto es Planet Mundus. Can you think of any reasons why people should not join IS? Because it's it's too radical. It's it goes against everything uh, the country you live in stands for. And if you like anything about the country you live in, you will not join IS. They've taken manipulation and social media to just another extent of brainwashing people and uh, messing with their minds. I don't think that anyone wants to be associated with an organization that executes foreigners for just being foreign. IS is killing people who they're not supposed to kill. In the long run, it'll, it is self-defeating because they uh, create a hell on earth instead of the things they promise. Now, imagine me standing in front of you saying, I desperately want to go to Syria and support ISIS. How would you try to convince me not to go? I would tell you to take a hard look inside yourself. Why are you doing it? Give me three reasons, personal reasons. No politics, no views, no nothing. Deep within yourself, think hard. Why do I do this and what do I have to lose? Answer me honestly and I'll let you go. Andum das ila. Planet Mundus. Thank you, Kim, for this Vox Pop. Especially the last answer, I found it very interesting. I mean, it's, it's just fair, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Uh, when you say you can leave when you have proper reasons to leave. I like her answer. I really do mm -hmm. like her answer. But do we allow people to go down and fight in the IS if, if just because they really want to? Well, by law, of course not. <laughs> but personal-wise, I can understand it. Yeah. But on the other hand, of course, what's, what is a, you know, what's a proper arg argument for you? I don't think there's a proper argument for me for Dane to go down there hmm. and fight. I, I don't. I, th I don't. I can understand in Syria that hmm. you have no, you you have no choice. Your everything has been bombed to the Stone Ages, and you want to take up arms against the regime. Mm -hmm. But as a Dane, I don't think there is. A, I don't think there is an argument to be made. Well, when you um, would have to draw a conclusion, would you say that the IS isn't? entirely evil or bad or can you also understand their their points and what they're aiming for well if the truth like if the reality was like like what the the, the, the chairman from the mosque said that he supports an islamic state but um based on sharia law and the whole like caliphate thing i think that would be problematic i would not wish that i think like that that kind of sharia law taken to the like in a fundamentalist kind of view mm-hmm It's not something we should be spreading. But if they were doing it like in a nice, peaceful way, then I probably wouldn't care that much. Yeah. But I would say that the methods that IS 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 uh, using, I, I would probably classify as. And do you reckon this could change maybe afterward that they become more moderate? 
I think it's gonna be a, a tough sell, right? Because they've started uh-huh. out so like they have done so they have done so much not moderate stuff that mm-hmm. it's gonna it's gonna be tough to to change your image. You reckon? I reckon. You don't? Okay. Well, I don't really know. I guess in the long run, just when they really want to be serious and maybe even becoming a recognized state, I would say it just makes sense. And there's no real way around as to become more moderate. I don't think I don't think there's that a chance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, now we have the hilarious piece from Jan Willems. We just listen to it now. Dear listeners of the digital world, we from Planet Mundus feel that we have the responsibility to be more than mere deskmen sitting in the coziness of our offices in Aarhus. Each and every day, we challenge ourselves to leave our comfort zones and bring you the stories that matter. Following this tradition, I spared no pains and set forth to interview the beheader-in-chief of the Islamic State. We met in a Starbucks in New York City. Here, the beheader attended How to Headhunt with Donald Trump, an international recruitment fair. Our conversation over an iced frappuccino with hazelnut syrup and an organic chai latte with soy milk began with one in a long series of shocking revelations. The person associated with the videotaped beheadings of at least five American and British journalists and aid workers was a Caucasian woman with a Southern American accent dressed in a baggy, grey hoodie and space pants. For Planet Mundus, I investigated further. Blimey, you're a woman. Guilty as charged, honey. And let's not beat around the bush. Yes, I'm a lesbian. Is that a problem? Uh, um, no. Don't get me wrong. We at Planet Mundus are pro-gender equality. It's just that I didn't expect this. Yeah, I get that a lot. Our working clothes over at IS are not exactly underlining my femininity. You can basically only see my eyes, so I try to wear some eyeliner, mascara, that type of stuff. I also sent a bunch of file memos to my supervisor, asking for a little more bada-bang in our outfits. But he's a little hard to reach at the moment. If it was not the fashion, then what were the reasons for you to join ISIS? Please don't call it ISIS, sugar. It's IS. And to your question, you know, a woman's gotta do what a woman's gotta do. The job market in my hometown in Greenville, Alabama is a fucking mess. No one's hiring a 30-something liberal arts dropout, so I tried to think outside the box. I talked to some of my friends and finally heard of this job offer of a casual acquaintance of my cousin Billy Joe. I always wanted to work with people and see new cultures, so I accepted. For an unorthodox recruit, you received quite a lot of buzz in the scene. People call you the Kanye West of beheadings. You know, it is what it is. People tell me I'm an artist and I believe them. I mean, beheading's no part-time job. You gotta love what you do, devote yourself to it. Always try to take the game to the next level. There's a lot of folks out there that's just in it for the money. That's not how I roll. I studied the greats. I don't think you can do what I do if you don't know the basics. The French Revolution, the guillotine. But I don't like the Kanye West reference. I think he's an ass. I'd rather people talk of me as the lesbian Lady Gaga beheadings. You seem quite open about your homosexuality. Is that not a problem at your workplace? Nah, actually the boys at work are quite alright with it. Sure, in the beginning, they didn't know how to handle it, but surprisingly, they're quite a liberal bunch. Now we even shower together in the men's locker room. And my homosexuality means I actually share interests with my male co-workers. I mean, I said I ain't in it for the fame, but honey, I can't wait for those 72 virgins in heaven. That's definitely a perk of the job. Plus, there's that girl leading the airstrikes against us. I mean, yeah, old Baghdadi's not too happy about this, but she's raising my blood pressure more than one way. Uh-huh. Um, well, uh, let's come to the last question. 
Earlier on, you emphasized that you don't want to be called Isis anymore. Would you elaborate on that? I'm going to be honest with you. Isis was a horrible name. Let's say there were some heads rolling in the PR and marketing department. It reminded people of Isis and Osiris and all the mummies and shit. And no one knew what it stood for. So we started this slick new marketing campaign. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube channels and so on. We gotta appeal to fresh blood, but still connect with the old base. I think with our new corporate design and language, we're doing quite well. I myself am very excited to see what the future holds for us. I thank you for your time. Thank y'all for having me. This interview is part of my coming book, Heads Up, What Today's PR Agencies Can Learn From IS. Available in selected stores before Christmas. This is Jan Willems for Planet Mundus. Thanks for that, Jan. This was Planet Mundus. Our technical producer today was Cheng Li and our editorial producer was Nihal Al-Sharif. My name is Ole Krosko and with me I had... Hans Liedke, thanks for listening and I hope or we hope um, to welcome you for the next episode of Planet Mundus. Just...